This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Good afternoon. This is Front Row on The Bigger Picture and I'm Sharmila Ganesan. With the COVID-19 pandemic and the movement control order, performing arts activities in Malaysia have ground to a halt. And this has affected not just planned performances and stagings, but in many cases, the livelihoods of many members of the local arts community as well. So what does this mean for our cultural workers and what is the way forward for the arts industry? To help us unpack these issues, I have with me today uh, via Skype, producer, choreographer and arts educator Joseph Gonzalez, Reformatsi representative and theatre maker Junima, and Pusaka's Pauline Fan. How is everyone doing? Good. Great. Thank you. Very thank you well. Thank you. Good to be here. Uh, well, thank you for being here virtually as well. Uh, maybe we can start off by um, starting at the obvious point, really. Um, what have been the challenges that are facing the performing arts due to the pandemic and the MCO? Um, maybe we can start off with uh, Juni. Um, I think everybody is aware that um, a lot of the events and projects are either cancelled or postponed which brought a huge impact to the whole ecosystem that includes not just art practitioners, but also venues that are forced to shut down. Um, but I think apart from the financial impact, I think there is this um, sense of uncertainty that is bringing a much more bigger impact to a lot of us that are affected, that are, that are working in this industry. Mm. And uh, Pauline, would you like to jump in? We hear a lot about what's happening in KL. Mm-hmm. Um, what's happening yes. outside of KL? Well, outside of KL, of course, Pusaka, of course, works with the communities mostly outside of KL um, in rural or semi-rural communities and with traditional performing arts. Um, so the communities out there, of course, it's it's similar in the sense that many of the um, projects and many of the opportunities for performance have been cancelled or postponed. Um, of course, the conditions of their of their performance on a regular basis is rather different from uh, practitioners in KL. Um, they don't necessarily have, um, well, they don't perform in the same kind of venues. They don't necessarily have the same kind of audience. Um, usually it's not performances that are ticketed. Um, so very often with the work that we do with them, it's usually projects that um, are funded from somewhere else. And then we do either a training project um, which usually in, incorporates performances as well. And that is also part of uh, sustained livelihoods for many of the groups we work with. And of course, none of this has been possible. Um, um, and as Juni said, there is a lot of uncertainty because who knows when this will end. And so to do field work, even not just performances, but even field work and research has been is very difficult at the moment. Mm. Um, so there is a sense in the communities, even for themselves, when they do... Um, to just say for Raya, Raya is usually a time when people get together and they will um, have an opportunity to also have community performances for themselves. Um, this is also um, something they can't do this year. Um, it's taking away that sense of, um, of community celebration and coming together even, um, yeah, just as a community. Something is really, I think, missing now and... and I don't. I wouldn't say people are falling into depression yet. I think they're very resilient. Many of the people on the ground have been dealing with all kinds of issues from uh, for decades. So it's not necessarily depression, but there's a lot of uncertainty and there's a lot of um, worry, especially about the financial uh, future. 
And Joseph, do you want to give us um, your perspective, particularly about the dance fields? Yes, similar to what both uh, my wonderful uh, friends here who, have, who are on this program have shared, dance, the dance industry has uh, really been hit so badly, just like everybody else. Uh, major companies such as uh, the one that I established, Ask Dance Company, and also Sutra Dance Theatre, we've had two very big shows slash fundraisers mm-hmm. that were cancelled. Um, and of course, we take into account the safety of the people who are coming, and this was the best thing to do. And we actually decided to cancel before we were told about the the MCO. So I think I want to draw attention to those who are listening that uh, there are arts workers for for myself. And when I wear this other hat that I work as an academic or a scholar in an institution that is uh, like a university, I am in a very privileged position because I continue to teach uh, mm-hmm. online, but I also also receive my monthly salary regularly. And many people who work in universities in Malaysia who are dancers uh, and professionals mm-hmm. in uh, University of Malaya, UPSI, UITM, and so on, they all are continuing to receive their salaries. The people who have been most hit are the dancers who are freelance artists, independent artists and portfolio artists who derive their work from uh, teaching on contract, who work on television uh, and so on. So these artists literally have had zero income during this period of time. So this uh, these are the people I think I am. My heart is reaching out towards the most because these are the people on top of my list to to think about how we can assist and help. Mm. Now I know it as uh, you've all of you have mentioned that nobody really knows what the future is going to hold. But um, already we're talking about long term impacts and and you know economy not recovering for you know up to two years, for instance. When it comes particularly to the performing arts community, what are some of the long term concerns that we are looking at? Oh, um, well, I speak for the traditional arts, of course. Um, well, the long term. The long-term um, impact, of course, is just that one is, of course, an issue of livelihoods. I mean, there's a huge chunk of livelihoods that will be um, depleted. And again, the uncertainty because, especially if work... Um, see, I think one of the problems, actually, is that much of the work of um, the arts and culture community in Malaysia, and both through government grants as well as perhaps corporate sponsorship um, or, or the kinds of funding that's available for arts and culture tends to be event-oriented. And I think this is a huge problem that is a kind of a systemic problem in the entire thing because if, I mean, there's there's very little funding out there for things like training, right? There's, um, there's very little funding out there for things like research, if you're not in an academic institution, for example, um, and or even for practitioners just to kind of continue their practice. It's usually event-oriented and because um, COVID-19 has impacted events in such a big way, this is an entirely um, insecure area now, and nobody knows quite how it's going to play out in within the next year or two. Um, so this is a major concern, and I think it needs a real kind of rethinking also of what arts and culture um, consists of. It's not just a matter of song and dance, and I think one of the, one of the criticisms that many of us had about the at least the public response of the Ministry of uh, Tourism and Culture, was that they seem to approach arts and culture very much as an event-oriented um, industry, actually more towards entertainment. And 
I mean, I know there are, there are people in there, of course, who, who think differently, but I think the, the kind of messaging that ha they have put out so far has been problematic and it's left many of us kind of a bit despairing about what their approach to, to culture is. And so in the long term, it's not just COVID-19 and the, the actual impact, it's also that there doesn't seem to be any real deep thinking about what kinds of, of the way to approach um, the crisis that the arts and culture community actually faced right now. Mm -hmm. Juni, what kinds of um, fears or, or issues are coming up in, in your conversations with your peers in terms of long-term issues? Of course, there, there are people who are anxious and feeling helpless over these uh, uncertainties because even in good times, the arts industry has been vulnerable. So I feel like this pandemic has created a vacuum in, in, in the nation that is waiting to be filled. Um, a lot of artists who, are, who cannot make ends meet, they need to find other ways to, to, to put food on the table. So I feel like we're actually losing opportunities to get these people to make sense of the situation. Um, but a lot yeah. of people, um, artists and art practitioners around me, they are like Joseph and, and I, we, we receive our monthly salary still because we do not re rely solely on artistic projects to, to earn a, an income, which is actually kind of unfortunate because even in good times, we have to take up side jobs to, <clears throat> to do what we believe in. So um, I think in the long term, not sure whether we are losing people who have the skills and um, imagination to make sense of this whole situation. Yeah, we are all sort of grappling with the same issues. Uh, mm. we, we're concerned about sustainability uh, mm. of companies. For example, the Ars Dance Company and Do A Space Dance Theatre, for example, in Kuala Lumpur are companies that uh, employ um, you know, eight to 10 dancers on a monthly basis and give them annual contracts. And these are maybe the only two that, that do it in that model. But there are a host of people who are independent artists, again, who rely solely on, on this uh, source of income. So sustainability of these artists is, uh, is vital and it's critical. Uh, at the same time, as uh, Juni has pointed out, you know, we are thinking about, you know, are we going to suffer some kind of a creative drain uh, because there are more pressing issues of literally survival and putting food on the table? Or are we somehow can we we marry the two, but there, there's not uh, these opportunities to do that. And this is also uh, happening in Hong Kong. The, the independent artists are struggling, but the government and the private sector have come up with with sort of plans and ideas to create, you know, uh, fundraising activities mm. for this particular group of artists who who then can use this time to create work and they're given maybe some kind of funding so that when we return, they will have, they will return with some new creative ideas uh, that they might have uh, been percolating over these mm. few months, you know? Mm. So I think that the worry of just, uh, surviving this and riding yeah. this storm, we are right in the in the eye of the hurricane right now. So, how do we think beyond it? Um, 
is really challenging. Mm. I'm glad you brought up um, government support because that's that's something that I do want to touch on. Uh, but we do need to take a quick break. But when we come back, we'll continue speaking with uh, producer, choreographer and arts educator Joseph Gonzalez, Reformatsi representative Junima and Pusaka's Pauline Fan about how the COVID-19 pandemic and the movement control order have impacted the local performing arts community. We'll be back after a short break. You're listening to Front Row on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. Welcome back. This is Front Row on The Bigger Picture and I'm Sharmila Ganesan. Today I'm speaking with producer, choreographer and arts educator Joseph Gonzalez, Reformatsi representative and theatre maker Junima and Pusaka's Pauline Fan about how the COVID-19 pandemic and the MCO have impacted the local performing arts community. Um, so before the break, we arrived at a point that um, I think we've had a lot of discussion about in the last few uh, months about the idea of government support and, and what we need or, or what we might expect from the government in terms of sustaining the arts industry through this difficult time. Mm. Um, now, I'm going to throw this out to you guys. Has there been enough support from the government so far? Absolutely I'm well, Nan- no. Nancy Shukri said she's going to hold meetings at hotels <laughs> with more performing <laughs> arts groups. So we're looking forward. <laughs> I would say, first of all, there's two things. Yeah, I mean, one thing is the, the actual response um, to the arts community. But even, I would have to say that even the traditional, the traditional arts communities outside of KL have also suffered also from some of the weaknesses of the crisis response um, out just in some of those areas, just in terms of things like food aid, mm. for example, there was very little um, proper coordination in some places, not in all places, like some of the communities we worked with were okay. Um, we actually did, a, we reached out to all of the communities that we work with and really asked them if they were okay with really basic needs like food. I mean, despite, you know, the government's, uh, the Prihatin, Bantuan Prihatin that the government rolled out, many of them were still in um, in a big fix and, and were in um, financial need. And in places like Johor, it seems to be okay. Kelantan was a disaster. And Kelantan really, we had to, we had to mobilize. Um, fortunately, we worked, we partnered with a few NGOs, including uh, Yayasan uh, Gatanyo, which my sister runs, um, as well as uh, MAPIM and Mercy and COVID Care. And we managed to actually reach out to about a thousand households out there, which were, which, who were not getting food aid. And we targeted both the traditional performing arts communities as well as um, vulnerable uh, households like single mothers um, and orangkurang upaya and people like that. But there was very little coordination at that ground level. And unfortunately, even though you have, um, you have institutions and government agencies who are actually in charge of these things, some of that just really fell through in places like Kelantan. The, the food aid distribution was very uneven. So even at that level, there was already um, very little crisis preparedness. Mm. And then, of course, in terms of the targeted uh, reach or so-called help to arts communities, I think that's really been just lacking. We are so so far down the pecking order. Uh, yeah, and I absolutely. think I think it's also important for us to say as artists uh, and arts workers, as Malaysians, we are really aware of the challenges that are being faced by other communities mm. beyond you know, this is something that's very real to us. And I want mm-hmm. to uh, highlight um, 
while while the government is struggling to put the pieces together and get the different parts of their organization to speak to each other, there was a there's a beautiful um, initiative by an individual, Fami Reza, who said, "I'm going to draw your profile uh, pictures on your Facebook. You select uh, an NGO from the Kita." Ja- Jaga Kita, you know that initiative. They've mm-hmm. got about fifteen mm-hmm. initiatives there, and uh, you select which one you want to donate to, and you can donate a certain amount of money that goes to food and things to to the Orang Aslis, to the Malaysian mm-hmm. Association of the Blind. And I thought that's one individual, and he raised, I think, more than thirty five thousand dollars in a month, you know, for for this, and that's incredible. Uh, but this is Malaysia. We're always sort of doing it on an individual basis. We're doing it. Because because yeah, uh, you know people are so driven by and passionate about wanting to help, mm. and that's the beauty of the, of Malaysia. But um, the, the the tragedy is that when there's so much uh, hopefully resources in the government and that's not been utilized uh, effectively, and that's mm. really frustrating. Uh, but the dance community in Hong Kong, for example, Hong Kong Ballet, uh, Hong Kong Dance Company, and uh, CCDC are three flagship companies of the government, aside from music and theatre companies, the big nine. They continue to receive their government and corporate funding throughout this period mm. of time, although there are no performances. You know, So they're given classes, they do, uh, you know, the teachers are paid, and the people are really taken care of, you know, mm-hmm. so I just... I just feel yeah. that it's, uh, and, and in Malaysia, you know, the Istana Budaya, JKKN, and these government-based musicians and dancers are all getting their salaries, but people that Pauline work with, works with, mm. they are not. Mm-hmm. And Absolutely. The dance, yeah, and the dancers that I work with are not. Yep. So if you're mm-hmm. outside that that the, the government sector, you're really struggling. and Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Now, Juni, you know, you do work with a lot of independent cultural workers as well. Um, what do you think could be done? What would be helpful at this point in time from the government? I think it's really hard to to discuss on this because you it's really hard to help someone you, you don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I just hope that maybe the Motec could start to acknowledge I think that's an you know, essential point, cultural, isn't it? That they're not even they're not even aware enough of who these workers mm-hmm. are and what they do um, be- before they begin to yeah. even offer help. Yeah, I think they need to acknowledge that um, cultural development does not complement tourism. If yeah. if any case, uh, in any case at all, it should be the other way around. And mm-hmm. I think they need to start to understand the art scene by. Um, I don't know, going to shows, attending these courses and talking to the vast array of artists that make up this wide spectrum in Malaysia and maybe perhaps hiring people who are on the ground so that they know what they're doing uh, and to acknowledge the fact that the, uh, the job is to create an environment that nurtures creative vitality instead of you know going into that creating creation process and say this can be done that cannot be done so yes, and, yeah and, and sort of strategies that uh, that are going to help immediately but also something that we can put mm-hmm. in place hopefully in a long run you know we've been talking yeah. about this for decades yeah absolutely mm-hmm. you know, and I so- think that there should be some kind of um, post-mortem about how the arts and culture community has been has been affected by this, and maybe maybe Motec can start by actually looking at some of the weaknesses and and some of the 
the communities that actually feel like they were just left out. I think they should listen and I think they should have a dialogue of some kind um, to actually see where, who was left, who feels that they've been absolutely left out, who feels that they, um, that their needs are not being addressed and see, really look at the best ways. And of course, it can't only come from the government, I think. I think the private sector really needs yeah. to step up their game yes. as well, you know. Absolutely. The, the private, and the private sector needs to stop looking at the arts and culture community again as an event, you know, just one event after the other, because if they, it's usually event sponsorship. And of course, I think they need to think of it as social and cultural investment. Really to nurture, to nurture Absolutely. a community. If yeah. there's one thing I learned about my four years in Hong Kong now mm-hmm. is how actively, you know, the banks, uh, the Hong Kong mm. Jockey Club are involved in development and they're giving scholarships to our students. They're, they're sending them away to study at different places. So almost mm-hmm. uh, everyone who comes here receives a scholarship. Uh, you know, they're so nurturing to um, to develop small work, long-term development of work. So there's really a great... Uh, synergy between the private sector and the government. Yeah. And they mm. feel that this is part of their their responsibility. Now, aside from, you know, the, you know, Yaya San Saim Dhabi, uh, mm. maybe Maybank, we have a few major players, uh, YTL mm. perhaps, but it needs to be a culture of understanding the value of arts and artists in nation building, you know? I, I you know, I think that um, that actually brings brings us to a point that I've been personally pondering myself. Um, and, and that and you mentioned this earlier as well, Joseph. Um, the the question of I mean, this pandemic has had a devastating impact on so many industries, not just the performing arts, not just not just the arts as a whole. Now, at a time like this, how do we make a case for the arts right now? Are they a priority? How should they be a priority? Uh, you're just going to make me cry, Shamila. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's something that I've honestly been struggling with because it does feel like, um, I think one of you said earlier, the, 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 the lower down on the rung of what people think is important. I'd like to think that's not so. Um, but how do we make a case for it, I suppose, is what I'm asking. I, this is, a, I don't know, I don't have the answer, but this is something that I've pondered as well because I've been bombarded with uh, WhatsApp messages from my, you know, all my different networks of people oh. who hardly ever go to the theatre and they are oh. telling me, oh, you know, you can watch The Metropolitan Live and it's free. You can watch uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber. You can even donate. To Andrew Lloyd Webber's uh, Actors Fund, and they got like half a million in one day, you know. And I'm thinking, are these people wonderful? Wonderful? They're becoming arts aware, so on the positive thing, <laughs> maybe they will all hurry to go to the theater when it's available, or hurry to go to, you know, a village in Kalantan and watch some great <laughs> Mekmulo, uh, Makyo, and Mind Country. Or, or, do they have they developed a habit of being able to sit at home and watch everything for free that they don't want to do it at all? So mm. I don't know. Yeah. Mm. And also, I think they should realize that, you know, if these things are being streamed for free, obviously someone's paying for it somewhere else. It's not, you know, those things are being funded by in other means, like the Arts Council of England or something like that. Because there is a kind of ecosystem and a kind of um, a way that those companies are able to sustain themselves that we don't have here in this country. 
Mm. Yes. You know, we don't we do not have the same kind of support system that Germany has, that the UK has, um, or even that Singapore has. Um, actually, I, I I do think that art should be a priority at this point of time because um, looking back on history, we we often find great advancement emerging after a long period of either depression, anxiety, or chaos even. Yeah. And if we take a look at what happened in the past, we can see that an era is not always marked by years, but a change in perspective to see the world. And I truly believe that people with the skills in the arts sector has a vital role to play in this, to provide a, an, an alternative, to provide a different perspective for us to see the world. Absolutely. Just to help reimagine, because I think it, it is, you're right. The lot of coming out of this whole thing, I think not just Malaysia, but the whole world needs to reimagine itself and think about new ways of living and new ways of approaching uh, what we do. And artists are absolutely essential to that process. Mm. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. I think, you know, uh, again, it's it's people like us and, you know, we are all pre always preaching to the converted, right? Uh, mm. and, and I think this is really, uh, I'm constantly telling younger artists, think of how you can broaden your outreach, reach out to people who don't normally go to the theatre or who don't feel that it's exciting to watch uh, traditional dance and traditional music and, and uh, you know, haven't made that yet a part of their lives. How do we encourage them to, to think that it's wonderful for all of us to get up and joke it and then mm -hmm. say, hey, these people need some kind of investment in their, in their careers because, you know, our careers are short as performers and so on. I, but I'd like the, uh, you know, the corporate and the government sector to really mm. hold hands at this time and think, you know, what is the long term thing that we can do for the arts community? For example, is this the time now to say we need to establish uh, the arts groups as registered charities, for example, as many are in the UK and uh, in other countries? Is this the time that we put into place uh, um, programs where people will feel that it's a valuable thing to donate towards and become a patron for the arts. You know, individual mm -hmm. patronage is not a big thing in Malaysia yet. And I mm. think this is something that we can work towards at this time. Uh, we need to get those uh, those conversations happening uh, as quickly as we can for a long-term solution and um, uh, a, a way to, to make this really rich um, traditions a part of our everyday life. Um, yep, Juni, uh, are you, um, you know, is Reformatsi or, or the larger community of um, theatre makers and, and performers in Malaysia, are there thoughts on what, um, you know, what this might be, what moving forward would work in terms of reaching out and, and maybe creating some amount of understanding? Mm, I think that's too early to say because everybody is now doing reflections and trying to make sense of this. So um, I guess people are rethinking our roles in the society. What is the, the relevance of arts to the nation? Our roles as artists, as art practitioners, as platforms, as institutions and venues. So um, I just don't have an answer to that yet, but mm. I am optimistic to the end, uh, what, what would come at the end. Mm. Do we see the online space as having potential or reach or, or, or even just um, 
giving that space that wasn't previously available. Is that something that um, uh, are you are any of you hearing people talk about it as being maybe the answer? Mm. I think, uh, well, I'll jump in right now because I know that uh, we are trying to monetize what we're doing online by offering mm. classes and things. And, you know, some kind people will come up and make some donations so that at least the teachers are able to be paid. Um, mm. But I think also, you know, we're thinking of, you know, selling more merchandise. We're thinking of uh, doing all these uh, uh, online conversations on a more regular basis. So the positive thing is you're able to connect globally. People have a little bit more time right now to be able to to talk to you. So that's great. But I think one of the things I've been thinking about uh, in my discussions with various people is that, uh, you know, maybe the government and the private sector to, could think of uh, greater subsidies for, for venues, uh, to look at tax deductions and tax exemption for performance tickets and, you know, the, the great uh, rigmarole that everybody has to go to, go through when we want to get a permit to, to put up a show. So I think these are mm. things that... Uh, how do we put in a plan for a long-term program for arts education in schools? I think these are very valuable and a lot of things are maybe can be done on. I, in this last two months, I've taken this opportunity to, to, to do an e-learning course for myself and become <laughs> a more effective teacher for online. And I mean, you know, talk about te teaching an old dog new tricks. You know, I'm 60 and struggling with the computer and the mouse, you know, but, <laughs> but, you know, I, I felt it was very valuable. And I think this is something that I would like to try to keep going. And even though we can meet face to face, which is a glorious experience of the arts. But I'd also like to reach out more through the online platforms that we have. Um, I know Chandana has uh, done a Create Now program for for people to come up with some things that they could do in this time and they, there will be some uh, funding available to them. Mm. Not much. But it's a grant for digital good. works, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So, so those kind of things I think are very useful um, and valuable in the short term. But I think I'm really interested in long-term solutions yeah. as well. Mm. Yeah, Pauline, it, it strikes me that particularly the communities that you work with mm. may not be able to access this space as easily yeah, some, some of them are very um, digitally savvy, especially for some of the younger ones. But, um, but by and large, most of them are not going to be going online to give classes and they're not, going, they're not really going to be going and doing digital work, like doing a digital mayong and putting it up for show. It just doesn't quite work in the same way. But um, something like a little workshop, maybe. But, but really, for the, for the younger generation, the old masters are not going to do this. Um, so... We're trying to use the time to do maybe more research. Um, we can still do things like interviews. I mean, interviews are still mm. possible. Um, but really, the field work, it's, it's very challenging to actually not be able to go out and be with my communities at this time and, and for them not to be able to gather. Mm. So um, hopefully, hopefully, this kind of lesson, you know, the, the dangers of COVID lesson um, sometime in the not-too-distant future. But until then... It's going to be very challenging. Mm. Juni, I have been seeing, though, um, especially among a lot of the independent uh, creatives in, in KL particularly, uh, there has been a lot of work being put up online, whether it's short clips or, um, you know, sharing of, of script readings and so on. Do you see these as being, um, do you see these as being valuable? Are they sustainable in the long term? 
I have to speak from a personal experience. I have to confess that my attention span has been shrinking because of this MCO period. And every day, I, what I see is screens, different sizes mm. of screens. Mm. Um, there are so many live uh, performances over, you know, sometimes shitty connection, some past performance clips that I think nobody finished. <laughs> uh, <laughs> We, we, we tried posting some videos of our past performances as well, but I I don't think a lot of people actually watch it as well. And then also people have been attending webinars, um, attending interviews and discussions. But I, I think we're still looking for a proper way to do it because it's yeah. not just by, it's not just a shift in, the method of presentation it's it mm. it involves so many different um production means um skills resources equipment to properly yeah. um document the show and also platforms that manage and showcase and monetize the works as well as people who are creating the works have to think of it in a different approach because um our works are are very dependent on live engagement with people. Mm. But right now, there seems to be a huge difference in this different kind of uh, approach. Mm. Mm. So we do need to um, wrap up fairly soon, but I would like to end perhaps on um, hopefully a slightly positive note. Um, And I'd like to ask each of you, what do you think the lessons are that the arts community can learn from this period moving forward? Yeah, uh, I think um, beginning with my own experience and then um, the the circles of people that I am in regular contact with, I think, and this is something that I constantly talk about, that artists and especially young artists need to constantly think about developing different kinds of skills. Um, Mm -hmm. it's, It's very important to hone your skill as a performer, that your body is your instrument. But what are the other skills that you also need to equip yourself with in order to have a long, sustainable career in the arts that can actually ride these kinds of storms? So if my one takeaway from this would be the advice to young people is to to really think about different parts of themselves and their talents and, and fully realize their potential in different aspects of uh, conversation, marketing skills, uh, writing skills, presentation skills, and those kinds of uh, uh, very, very valuable skills that will keep them employed and needed for a very long time. Yeah, I I think there are certainly many, many lessons to be learned. Um, But in terms of looking specifically at um, the traditional arts communities outside of KL, I really do think that whoever the the government agencies who are making some of these policies and even rolling out some of the grants who are based in KL tend to really not think about those communities very much at all. And Mm. so even some of the grants um, that are being rolled out for um, even some of the small grants doesn't really take into account that many of those communities out there are not the types who will apply for something like this to do some kind of digital work. I mean, it's, Again, they fall through the cracks. Um, so from everything from the food aid crisis to um, not being able to, not being in a position really to to partake of some of these grants that are being rolled out, 
many of these groups are being left out. And I think we need to think about um, the arts and culture community in a much more expanded way and a much more inclusive way um, and not be not be limited by our understanding of uh, just certain sectors or certain uh, certain scenes. Mm. Um, and so whatever whatever kind of policies or whatever kind of um, strategies that people start to put in place, I think really needs to take a, a very wide perspective. And also I think they need to be critical um, of themselves. I really do think, I mean, this is not, it's not us just trying to say that they're doing a terrible job. I mean, I know people are trying, yeah, but but there are weaknesses and there are certainly many communities who are who are not um, who are not receiving the kind of help that they need at this time and not just financial, not just food aid, but in terms of longer term strategies. That's the thing that I think actually is completely missing. I don't see any long term strategies at all. You know, mm. um, everything seems to be kind of piecemeal. So I think there needs to be some really deep rethinking. Um, but one by the arts community, of course, to reimagine certain ways in which we do things and also to reimagine um, a kind of human society. But for government sector, private sector, I think they really need to start thinking about um, how they can also, um, how they can come together to also help out and sustain, help sustain this part of our life, which is, which nourishes us all. Yeah. Juni, um, any thoughts on takeaways and lessons? Uh, <laughs> well, I just want to say that the arts have not been forgotten by the people. Maybe it's been forgotten by the government, but not the people. Um, I just want to say... The <laughs> it was very well said. Uh, it, it was, yes. And <laughs> to the point, yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much. I mean, there's so much more that we can keep talking about, but we are running out of time. But thank you for sharing your opinions. Thanks, Thank you very much, Shamala. Thank you so much and good luck, everyone. Now I've been speaking with producer, choreographer and arts educator Joseph Gonzalez, Reformatsi representative and theatre maker Juni Ma and Pusaka's Pauline Fan about the struggles of the Malaysian performing arts community due to the COVID-19 pandemic and the movement control order uh, and what the future might hold. If you've missed any part of this interview or any previous front row segments, you can download the podcasts on bfm.my on our BFM app or on Spotify. You've been listening to Front Row on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.